This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to Inspiring Design with Rashan. Today is one of the most technologically advanced episodes, at least the topic will be. Today is all about cyber physical systems and robotics. So who do we have lined up for today? None other than the research director, Sue Kay from CSIRO's Data61. Sue set up the world's first robotics vision research center and now leads CSIRO's Data61 Cyber Physical Systems Program. In 2018, she developed Australia's first robotics roadmap highlighting how advances in robotics and AI will impact on every sector of the Australian economy. She's also known as a superstar of STEM, Science and Technology Australia. Welcome to the show, Sue. Let's get inspiring design. Thanks, Rashan. Can we start off with a little bit of background on yourself? Well, I never expected to end up in robotics. So I grew up in a family of early adopters of technology. Yeah. So we were one of the first families in the street to have a computer. But I didn't really think too much about that. Mm -hmm. um, when it came time to think about going to university, though, I decided that I wanted to focus on science just because I felt it was creative mm -hmm. and that I wanted to, to have a job that was interesting and would keep me, I guess, interested for the length of a, a, a long career. Yeah. Um, and at university, I studied earth sciences um, and I pursued that for a number of years. And then I moved out of being an active research scientist and moved more into research management and commercialization. And eventually the opportunity to set up a robotic vision research center came up. And I really leapt at that opportunity because my sister's been in robotics for some time. Yeah. My sister is actually the managing director of a group called Silicon Valley Robotics in the US, mm -hmm. and they support startup robotics companies. Um, it's funded by some of the early successful robotics companies in the US. So mm -hmm. for many years, she's been telling me that robotics is the way of the future and that I really should get on board. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while, but eventually I listened. Mm -hmm. And uh, so now I'm fortunate enough to be working in the same area. That's, it seems like it's a family of high achievers if I'm not wrong. <laughs> it was quite a competitive family, yeah, yes. Yeah, I can imagine that. No, that's brilliant. And obviously, you are the right person to speak to, I think, the audience of teachers and students wanting to know about exactly what cyber-physical systems are until we get, on, get down to the details of um, defining what those elements are. Can you explain a little bit about who is CSIRO and what is Data61? So CSIRO is Australia's national science agency and Data61 is essentially the digital innovation arm of CSIRO. Yep. So within Data61 we get to work on all the fun stuff like developing new robots and yep. sensing technologies that we can use uh, to either conduct scientific experiments or actually just to do research on how we can advance those technologies. Yep. So all the cool stuff literally with all the fun toys. Definitely. Definitely. Well, let's talk robotics. It's um, what we're here to talk about. There are a couple of different terminologies that I want to 
make sure that the listeners can understand clearly. If I may list them, we'll go one at a time. I feel like, firstly, the word mechatronics gets thrown around. What's mechatronics all about? Yeah, so mechatronics is just a made-up word, which is (laughs) um, mechanical um, married with electronics. I see. So traditionally, if you study engineering at university, you would have been made to choose between mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. But for robotics engineers, we really want people who know a bit about mechanical engineering, but also a bit about electrical engineering. And so many universities have now, you know, mushed those terms together to form Mm -hmm. mechatronics uh, because it actually illustrates that marriage between mechanical and electrical engineering. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. What about the term robotics? Well, in my view, robotics just is indicative of an intelligent machine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's a very broad term, but really encompasses any machine that has intelligence. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And what about cyber physical systems? (laughs) So cyber physical systems is uh, really just a fancy term for explaining how we can get the digital world to communicate with the physical world mm-hmm. um, so that's where the cyber component of it comes the digital yep. component and the physical component which is actually how you get these digital technologies operating in the real world in something like a robot that actually has to uh, move around and take action in the physical environment that that we exist in yeah yeah that's pretty cool and obviously one of the things that comes to the mind of everyone is the Terminator movies from the 1980s and even now so just to put it in context, are those machines, the Terminators, cyber-physical systems? Yes, they are. They are. They are. There you go. <laughs> I had to ask you that. But um, how do, obviously, these technologies, they're going to have a major impact in how different different fields are going to be to- um, functioning in the next couple of years to the 5 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. What does that look like, and how do these technologies play a role in the 21st century? They're going to play a critical role in the 21st century because we are a global economy at the moment, Mm -hmm. so no nation can really exist in isolation. Absolutely. And these advances are occurring across the world. And I think the real challenge for countries, especially countries that um, are small, like Australia, Mm -hmm. is how we can keep up with a lot of these technological advances and use them to our advantage. Mm -hmm. um, Because they are just uh, economically and imperative for for our country. We can't really expect to maintain our standard of living unless we can keep up with these technological advances. Uh, So I think really the role that these are going to play is in expanding the range of things that economies uh, currently are capable of doing Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, again, increasing the efficiency with which we do things, but also hopefully improving the safety and also helping to improve the health and well-being of, um, of the populations of every nation. Yeah, yeah. Now that does make sense. And do you think it's something that will become almost every day, like we need to be able to use computers? So do you think that robotics will become to even that, that level of commonality between anyone? Yes, and I think that that's already happening. I think uh, probably some people have robots in their own home and they don't even think about them. So if you think of something like a robotic vacuum cleaner, absolutely. after yep. it's been in someone's house for a while, they probably don't even think about it as a robot. So it's an interesting thing. Once something becomes a useful tool in your environment, then I guess you stop thinking about it. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think robots will slowly infiltrate our lives and <laughs> perhaps we won't even notice. It's a bit scary. <laughs> 
<laughs> especially when we when we put it that way where we won't notice so i think it's important for i think that next generation to understand and be aware of those things while they move forward with it and so obviously with robotics comes a very common word that gets thrown around these days a lot it's ai and obviously where there's ai in, in every pocket that that walk around with a smartphone so how what about ai how does that come into play with along with robots along with the future of work what are your thoughts on ai well, I guess it's inextricably linked with uh, robotics and sensing systems and a lot of the aspects of cyber-physical systems. So mm -hmm. sometimes we talk about the work that we do as embedded artificial intelligence. So it's artificial intelligence that has been put on something that operates in the physical environment, mm -hmm. so in the world around us. So yep. not just as a software program on a computer, it's um, artificial intelligence that might be helping to operate your camera or to operate something that actually... Mm is in the physical world. Um, so I think that both robotics and AI are going to have um, a huge influence on, on what the future of um, the, the whole world yeah, looks like. Absolutely. And what does that look like in terms of when we, we understand that even we're used to almost our music player or the music app to actually learn what music choices we like simply by the, uh, the data that we input it or you know the social media algorithms that happen how else can this come to a point where do you think that AI can one day even learn emotions it's obviously a question that I get asked a lot do you think that emotions is something that can be replicated by AI definitely it can be replicated but then they're not really emotions yeah. it's a machine pretending to have emotions yeah. because it can recognize what they are and it can replicate them but that's not the same thing as actually having emotions true true and what about creativity because this is also can can i've seen articles about this we've seen videos where robots are actually creating beautiful work of art and and they can manufacture a beautiful piece of furniture but creativity is a different it's almost a human element what are your thoughts on AI and creativity? <laughs> I think artificial intelligence is actually going to augment human creativity because what artificial intelligence can do is actually open up our minds to possibilities that perhaps we wouldn't have considered. So mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. In our work, we often apply machine learning mm -hmm. to how we might design a robot, the material that we design the robot out of, and even use machine learning to encourage the robot to learn the function that it has to do in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and by using machine learning, essentially all that is is a way of churning through a whole range of possibilities and trying to come up with the most optimal solution. And in doing that, sometimes machine learning will come up with a solution that a person might never have thought of mm -hmm. simply because it can churn through so much data. And I think that's really where it's going to help augment human creativity because as you know, we all try and cope in this knowledge-intensive world, mm. we need tools around us that are going to help us, one, make sense of all of that data and help to um, you know, put it into a form that other people can understand. But I think it will also open our eyes to possibilities that we haven't thought of before. So sometimes in using machine learning to have a look at how we should design our robots means that we come up with some shapes and forms that are really quite unusual and mm. that people find quite strange but you know there's a, there's also a, a real beauty and a seeming creativity but again it's it's a bit of a fake creativity and I, yeah. but 
Having said that, I think that that is an important step in terms of expanding human creativity because it's like opening your mind up to extra possibilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes people ask, why should we invest any money in doing space exploration? Mm -hmm. And it's precisely because it expands our minds. Mm. It makes us think about possibilities that, you know, don't even exist here on Earth. And in doing that, we become more creative. Absolutely. I think that's it's it's a with with expanding our mind i think it comes with the risks involved and the positives there are always positives and negatives and i think there's a lot of misunderstandings about ai and because it's something unknown there's that fear involved and one of the questions that always comes up is do you think that creativity sorry do you think that ai can replace creativity and emotions of a human being no no <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. That that's actually where I think I stood as well because it's a tool to enhance our understanding and and it's exactly right. So in terms of the next generation of future professionals and leaders and innovators, how should they what should they do to stay on top of AI or even learn about AI so that it becomes one of those everyday everyday skills? Yeah, I think, you know, fear of artificial intelligence and fear of robots is simply fear of the unknown. So the more that you can do to educate yourself about artificial intelligence and robotics, Mm. uh, the better equipped you are to deal with the future. And I think fortunately, too, because we live in such a knowledge intensive age, Mm -hmm. there are plenty of tools that you can access to gain that knowledge. Mm -hmm. So you can go online right now and sign up for a course that will help you understand how to code, help you understand about machine learning. And you don't have to do that to anyone's timetable but your own. And I think fortunately too, there are communities developing and meetup groups where you can actually go on that learning journey with, with other people who have similar interests. So. I think it's something that people can actually uh, help themselves and the, the tools are pretty much at everyone's disposal if you have access to the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's fair enough. And the other thing I think comes along with um, AI is how that's actually replacing mundane everyday jobs and, and obviously that's resulting in job losses. And I think well, I get this question asked a lot from teachers is how do we prepare our students for jobs that don't exist now and the jobs that we do now might not exist because it's been replaced by AI and um, how do you tackle that and do you think that's actually a true fact that it will result in job losses or do you think it's at that point of evolution at the moment? I think you have to distinguish between jobs and tasks because I think it's Uh, very true that artificial intelligence and robotics will replace a huge number of tasks. Mm -hmm. However, most jobs actually consist of a number of tasks put together. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, jobs might consist of tasks that actually humans aren't very well suited to or even are dangerous to humans. So if we can find ways for artificial intelligence or for robots to be able to do those tasks, that's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. Humans are actually not that good at... (laughs) mindlessly repetitive work absolutely which is where artificial intelligence and robotic um, process automation can be uh, really very useful Mm -hmm. now yes i understand people are fearful of losing jobs and i think jobs of the future will certainly be different and probably have quite different names Mm. and that's why we really need to make sure that we have the education supports to help people to transition 
you know, in different careers and to make sure that if some of the tasks that they are responsible for are um, being able to be done by artificial intelligence or robotics, Mm -hmm. then they can identify and train up in the tasks where robots and artificial intelligence are not strong at all. And there are plenty of those. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. And I think it's that distinguishment between tasks and the thinking behind it because we do need to look at it as a tool that can enhance. So even though the jobs that we know today might not exist in that next five years it might have three four five different job opportunities that stem from it just because of enhanced app attributes from from um, ai so that's great and looking at the different industries that can be affected by ai do you have any examples of applications of how ai might play in let's say medical or legal or business or automation do you have any examples of them yeah, there's quite a few ways that artificial intelligence and robots are already being used in everyday business. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a hospital, for example, uh, many new hospitals are built with um, quite a lot of infrastructure in uh, I guess what I'd call the back of house of the hospital. So areas where most people wouldn't see, yep. but where you have robots or automated ground vehicles actually transporting all of your materials. So things like your linen, food, um, any sort of equipment and supplies, uh, even pharmaceuticals. Uh, And those things are, I guess, replacing um, manual tasks that that often can uh, cause injury in people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can have all of this happening uh, and delivering things within hospitals. So doing a lot of logistics functions but the people in the hospital probably are never aware that those things are occurring. So Mm -hmm. plenty of hospitals already have those sort of facilities. I guess the other area where artificial intelligence is starting to play an important role is in actually churning through a lot of the medical data that we have to come up with solutions that might not be apparent to, Mm. or that would take a long time for people to figure out without that extra assistance. So, you know, a good example of that is computer vision. So looking at different x-rays and figuring out, you know, is this something that's typical of um, you know something that you know is a medical concern Mm -hmm. Uh, and we know that using artificial intelligence we can probably identify some things Mm -hmm. and train it up so that it's better than a medical specialist doing the same job but that doesn't mean that that medical specialist is still not important it just means that you're actually saving them a lot of time by going through a lot of this repetitive checking different vision and and comparing it with previous cases that part of it can all be automated but it doesn't automate the part where the specialist actually has to come up with a diagnosis and a and a treatment plan yeah yeah Um, and obviously that kind of thing can literally save lives yes and i think that perhaps in the future if people had the choice and they could see that uh you know the the chances of for example something being detected in an x-ray are actually higher if you use artificial intelligence then you know there might come a time when people demand access to those technologies yeah yeah makes sense makes sense what about in uh let's say advanced manufacturing i feel like that's listed as one of the main um job loss industries right now Within advanced manufacturing, I'm talking a whole array of different industries like retail, food, um, manufacturing, and so on. What are your thoughts on how AI and you know cyber physical systems can affect and evolve those industries? 
Um, well, I'm actually more aware of job creation in advanced manufacturing from robotics. Good. Uh, and that is because robotics and AI can actually make businesses more profitable. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes by changing a small part of a process and making it more efficient um, and making the overall process uh, more economic and profitable, it can actually lead to the opportunities for more jobs. So Mm -hmm. one example of that in manufacturing is, uh, for example, things like panel beating. Mm In general, that's a very uh, labor-intensive task, and in many cases, that's a task that they send offshore to be done because uh, you know Australia's labor costs are comparatively high. Absolutely. Yeah. However, if you can actually do that task with a robot, that means that you can bring that task back into Australia. Uh, you know, potentially make that job more profitable, mm-hmm. and then employ more people in the business. Yeah. As, yeah. And so you're essentially bringing work or reshoring jobs mm-hmm. back to Australia. They might just be slightly different jobs. Yeah, I think that's where I think uh, the misconception comes in, where the label changes that existing job that, as we know, may not exist, but it's actually, cre- like you said, creating more jobs for people by allowing companies and different organizations to be more profitable and automating processes. So that's great. I think that's music to years when teachers listen to this because that's been one of their biggest concerns. And... If we take a step back towards the school's environment and kids that are going to be that are in school right now who's entering the industry in the next 10 20 years what are the key skill sets that they need to succeed in what involves AI and cyber physical systems in your opinion Well I think that people should like students should all stick with as high level maths and as many science subjects as you can Mm -hmm. right up until the end of high school Mm -hmm. and then if you decide that you don't want to have a career in engineering or science well that's fine I Mm -hmm. think it's still actually a very good background in any job because it helps you to be creative and to I guess have a really good grasp of uh, creative problem solving Um, and so apart from those things, I think people skills are never going to be something uh, seriously threatened mm-hmm. by robots and artificial intelligence. So yep. there will always be a need for those, uh, I guess some people call them the soft skills, yep. actually being able to get along with people, work as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there might be an increasing importance placed on those skills in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in essence, I would encourage everyone to just do as much science and maths as they possibly can while they're in high school. Mm-hmm. And then I think the rest will all work out for itself afterwards. So you mentioned creativity just before. How did you mean that from a school context? Is that arts? Is that design? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think arts and design are also critical to, um, you know, any sort of future in cyber physical systems Mm. and robotics. Um, I also see science itself as a very creative enterprise, and I think it has elements of, um, you know, design that, you know, perhaps really aren't... um, uh, aren't often pulled out mm-hmm. when people think about science. Yeah. Um, but I think it is a creative endeavour in its own right. But yeah, I think um, when I when I emphasise science and maths, that wasn't to de-emphasise yeah, English arts and yep. design. It's just that unfortunately we know that a lot of people, um, particularly women are dropping out of science and maths before they even finish high school. Mm. And I think that that's a trend that we can't sort of see continue. It's, it's, it means that 
unfortunately, uh, when we're creating new technologies, it, uh, they're going to be created by one gender alone, and mm-hmm. that's not a very healthy situation. True. Yeah. And why? What's the cause behind that? Do you, are you aware of any reasons? <laughs> well, I think that we uh, live in a very gendered society and it's not just true in Australia it's true in a lot of other countries as well where people think if you have a certain job then that's really associated with a certain gender so Mm -hmm. we have uh, less men in professions like teaching and nursing we have more men in professions like engineering and science and that's not to say that women aren't suited to engineering and science or that men aren't suited to nursing and Mm. teaching and in fact different points in history there have been far more male teachers than female teachers so it really is about our society's perception of what jobs are suitable for different genders and people um, assimilate that from a very young age unfortunately and that then infiltrates the choice of subjects that people do at school and so it's very hard to correct so some people believe and one reason that I was selected as a superstar of STEM was an effort to try and show that there are women in some of these areas that are traditionally male dominated and so it is a potential career path Mm. and I guess not only is it a potential career path I think people don't see the downside of not having women involved in the creation of technologies and yet there is a whole litany of poorly designed um, technologies uh, that would have benefited if they'd been designed by a more diverse team. Mm. Um, A good example of that is um, car airbags. Mm -hmm. So it's a great safety feature. However, for 40 years, uh, actually the introduction of airbags led to a disproportionate number of injuries amongst children and women. And that's because airbags were designed solely on crash test dummies that were modelled on the average American male. Wow. So if you didn't conform to the size and shape of an average American male, that actually meant that you were more likely to be injured when car safety airbags deployed. Wow. Uh, and unfortunately, it took 40 years worth of research on accidents to discover that this was an issue. Whereas you would have to think or imagine that if a diverse team had been involved in the design of those safety features from the very beginning, someone might have pointed out that not everyone looks like the Well, that's the ironic part. Even, even I would probably get injured by that because I'm actually below average of my height. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the key word, diversity. And I think that opens up the um, door to involving other cultures as well. Just because I feel whenever it comes to a designing process, bringing those different mindsets into the same table always provides a better outcome. And it's been the case when we walk through design thinking as well. And I feel like that you, you said many of the words that are valued within Uh, that are the core values of design thinking how so I wanted to ask you how important do you think design thinking is within AI robotics and those kinds of fields oh it's critical I think everyone should know how to do design thinking Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it really is critical yeah absolutely that's my forte so I'm very happy to hear that from you (laughs) but um Bringing it back to, I think, how, how um, the current education system, there's, there's obviously gaps in how they transition from secondary to tertiary and then tertiary into industry. So 
in looking at educating our um, teachers and educators, do you have any advice for the schools and universities on this area of um, with AI and cyber physical systems on how they could change or adopt or evolve their teaching approach to better prepare their students? Yes, I think that in general we have to have a much more nimble approach and maybe a more flexible approach to learning. Mm -hmm. So there are so many excellent online resources that would support people um, in uh, getting a better understanding of yeah. artificial intelligence and robotics. And yet I think that you know we are limited in the structure. We have quite a rigid curriculum. When you get to university, you have a very rigid degree structure. So yes, you can change different subjects, but you know, really the universities are there to encourage you to get a degree, not to just spend six weeks learning a particular thing. So I think in the future what we'll see is that it's much more common for people to just dip their toes into subjects and, and out again as necessary. So yep. maybe spending six weeks learning about deep learning, for example, and then coming away and applying that rather than going, okay, well, I need to know about artificial intelligence and deep learning. Please sign me up for a yep. four-year university <laughs> degree. Yep. No, you don't need to do that. Yep. Um, um, and I don't think at the moment, apart from community efforts, that we actually have a very structured way to help people mm -hmm. to have that flexible learning experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think it's it has a perception of it can be very complex. So it it's, it's almost like when you speak to the um, students of today, they think it's out of their reach if they don't have that self-belief. But I feel, feel that... When it comes to these co complex areas, it's even though it might be perceived as complex, it's actually the mindset to be able to solve one step at a time and move through things and work with people, whether in teams, whether in big teams, whether individually, and then coming back. And these key skill sets that can allow people to succeed in this area. So that's that's great. I think that's that's brilliant. That's all for today. And thank you so much for coming on board, Sue. I think a lot of the teachers will take away a lot from what you have shared. So thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Everyone, that's it for today. But if you haven't already done so, make sure you jump online to roshansenanayaka.com forward slash podcast and click on today's episode for the show notes from today. There are direct links to sue on her linkedin profile please connect with her and support what she's doing as well lastly if you haven't done so already make sure you click subscribe and share the love with a review and i will make sure to personally read it out for the listeners of over 14 different countries to and get your name out there so till next time mm -hmm.